Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am your host, Adam Pawatic. Sitting across from me is your other host, Aaron Cameron. And today we are joined by Darius Zumarodi of Blanc Labs. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So, as always, Darius, we start with kind of your origin story. So, you know, in five sentences or less, can you explain kind of how you ended up where you are today? Sure. I went to undergrad and I studied computer engineering. And this is despite the fact that I always wanted to go to art school and I was very creative and I never wanted to go to engineering or medicine or law. But I, I think this was a destiny for me to get accepted to the computer engineering program. And I finished it. And You can't see him. He's got a big smile on his face. So he's, <laughs> he's proud of that. Or, or I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I was always, I had the entrepreneurial spirit. And when I was in university, I started, you know, in startups, starting my own thing. I had four startups, two failed and two were successful. And I, I, the first startup that I had success in was in hospital information systems. And that was where I really learned how to grow a business. And then I immigrated to Canada. From this, where? From Iran. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I went to school over there. I was born there. Came to Canada before the dot-com boom. And I jumped on the internet bandwagon and joined a startup here. It was hard to sell yourself as an entrepreneur. You know, people didn't hire entrepreneurs in the late '90s. You know, you had to have Y2K skills to save the world from you know what's going to crash the calendars in 2000. And was that cobalt programming? I think was that cobalt the, uh, programming. Yeah, yeah. If you were good in those, you know, skills, you were in high demand. And I, I didn't have those demands. So well, good thing you weren't though, because now there's no demand for cobalt. <laughs> unless, I'm, unless I'm mistaken, I could be wrong. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> So I started um, joining a, a startup company in, in Toronto, north of Toronto. It was in the Yellow Pages business and building a Yellow Page online directory. And that's how I essentially started my career in Canada and grew in that organization to be the IT lead. And then I went to business school to Queens in Kingston and did my MBA there, an executive MBA. And that was after the dot-com crash. So we missed the window of IPO by one month and our company was really growing well. And unfortunately, we had to cut back like many, but we survived, luckily. And uh, brought a lot of skills back from my business uh, uh, degree and helped the company to grow and spin off some other products. And we sold the company at that time it was called yellow.ca to a publisher in Vancouver and the company was named can pages after that and after five years it was sold to our biggest competitor yellow media for 250 million dollars and which is not the sale price that you got I presumably no no <laughs> I didn't get that much but um, it was a very happy exit uh, for many of our executives that's got to be one of the wins for sure then yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna get to the the fails by the way yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure for sure and I started consulting after that I landed in fintech after that because that was in 2010 11 it was a fintech was the a rising next thing to do. And 
digital media had become like almost dominated by Google's and you know the the new entrants. So I did some fintech consulting. I was the VP of technology of Wellspring Financial, which is today Flexity Financial. It's in the business of retail instant credit card loans. Mm-hmm. And it's how I got into you know loans and you know credit credit payment systems and whatnot. And we ran out of operating cash. The company was paused for operation for a while, and I left. But then uh, the founder and CEO was able to secure capital and rebranded the company. And right now, it's one of the most successful fintech companies in Canada. And I'm very proud that I have been at the beginning start of the journey that we were like building that company in the living room, and literally. And so that, that started my career in fintech. And then I was doing a lot of startup consulting and judging competitions. And in one of the competitions that I was judging, I saw this young entrepreneur who had a very interesting team and capabilities. And I wanted to invest in them. And, but I, I went and I was like, I'm interested in doing innovation in a lab. And if you guys are interested, I will join. So it took us six months and finally we made a decision that I'm going to join and that's how it started. I joined Blanc Labs as a partner and I led the practice of innovation consulting there and I brought in the fintech spice and we started going after companies that are in the financial sector and we landed on some very good clients and learned a lot uh, in helping them bring in innovation, the style of of how entrepreneurs and startups do into their enterprise organizations. And so and so at Blanc Labs, you are the chief innovation officer. What does Blanc Labs do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a, a boutique innovation consulting firm um, based in Toronto. And we have a deep focus in four areas in lending. We have built a commercial underwriting software that automates the flow of underwriting for commercial properties. We also focus on uh, intelligent automation, which I will talk a little bit about more what this is today. And we also work on data intelligence and making sense of data. And our last area of practice is uh, distributed ledger. And we've done some POCs for syndicated lending in this space. So that's really what I'm doing these days. I'm helping C-level and executives and looking at the future and figuring out what's outside uh, as in terms of disruption, what's happening inside their organization that needs to change in order to innovate and automate and change. Hmm. So how, how disappointing is the commercial real estate world then in that regard? <laughs> uh, commercial real estate. You know what? Commercial real estate, I think, is one of the industries that has not adopted change for a long period of time. Could you put your finger on why? What is it about commercial real estate? Because I, I know this to be true. I don't think anybody that works in the industry for any, for any period of time is aware that it's, it is archaically slow in kind of any of this type of op- adoption, maybe more than any other industry. I mean, I'm, I'm not familiar with other industries, but do you have any sense as to why it feels like commercial real estate is, in general, the industry is so reluctant to adopt you know, change and, and new technology? Yeah, a lot of it is coming from complacency 
and lack of motivation. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's making money. You guys are making money and there are regulations in place in order to protect certain investment at a very conservative rate. And people are happy with that. They don't want rate of returns beyond that. So what I can tell you, the rate of return that is happening in the new ventures in Silicon Valley, when I'm talking to investors over there, they say, your idea is really good, but the return is only 10 times. And I'm like, so? He's like, no, we're looking for 100 minimum. And this is serious. They are looking for 100 times ROI on their investment. They're not complacent. They want to shoot for the moon, and they do a lot of them, but... It's a kind of a gambling, in my opinion. What wins? Wins are really big. The rewards are really, really high. And they recycle the money that they made in that ecosystem in the bringing up the next one. And they recycled entrepreneurs and the people who worked in that venture to build the next venture. This culture is not seen in any other industry. Like the culture that has made, so imagine you have a factory it's doing really well. Let's break it into three factories now and make three new things and let the other one go when it's IPO. Let's just build new ones. And four people can start something really disruptive because of their experience scaling from zero to 100,000. And they, they take that. In commercial real estate, you don't have that. First of all, your product is buildings and, and the buildings don't come up as fast. You don't build them as fast. The projects are lengthy. The investments are syndicated. Not only one person puts money in there. So, you know, people come in and decisions are not made based on the criteria of an aggressive growth. And I think generations after generations, it has been like that. Nothing has pushed from outside to disrupt as much. Although recently I can tell you that, you know, WeWorks is coming in and disrupting the commercial real estate because these guys came from nowhere found space and they're doing this shared space kind of culture and people are feeling it you know airbnb is also doing it in some ways and amazon has done it to your big box you know stores you know i was walking in center point mall this weekend with my mom and i just saw the zeller's location that was there and it's gone and the escalators are there my mom's like you know what a great place you know what was in here before I'm like, I remember what was this place. And it's probably empty for the past, at least I remember, three years. Why haven't then they figured out what to do with this space? And I bet you in 905, we have a lot more of these vacant areas. And nothing has been done. And I do see the creative ways that they're building, you know, um, in the parking lots of these malls, more opportunities for commercial real estate. It's experiential. It's all experiential. They don't know based on facts that this is really going to work or not. And that's where I see that this lack of creativity, a little bit of thinking outside of the box of how do we do. It's very reactive sometimes, but there's no concrete plan. I haven't seen that in a methodical way that the industry comes together and says, let us work together to figure out what else can we do that it's not status quo. It's not the same way. So maybe I used the wrong word then. I said how disappointing is commercial real estate, but opportunity rich for you might be another way of, of looking at it. 
Because there's so much low-hanging fruit and ways that the yeah. I mean, and for context, Darius, his title is Chief Innovation Officer. So I mean, I think your job is to come up with ways in which to disrupt industries and, and think about the innovations that have not occurred yet. So maybe in this sense, that it is a sort of a, an industry ripe for uh, ripe for the pickings or ripe for the attack or however you want to phrase it. Absolutely, I, I see all of the uh, everything in commercial real estate. In my opinion, is an opportunity because. It hasn't been touched by a lot of digital experimentation that can take you to a whole level of legacy again. Because a lot of organizations that start deploying technology, they take technology that will attach them to that technology for a long period of time. So that vendor is in there and they can't move. So cost of substituting to another solution is very high. And where these days we work with decision makers, the first thing we say is that you should not attach yourself to a vendor. This day is not that day to make those decisions. 20 years ago, maybe you were, but you have so many options to be independent. And the concept of data is really not appreciated as an asset as much, I think, in commercial real estate. Data is the foundation of the modern digital world when it comes to innovation. Like when you see every industry that has adopted uh, some sort of an artificial intelligence in order to solve problems, it's all based on historical data and the data that they collect and the data that is being utilized to predict new outcomes and, and outcomes that can be in the workflows of what they do. In commercial real estate, every organization owns their own data and it's in silos. And it's not being centrally, you know... It's my data, not yours. And it's very much like my data, and I don't want to share it with anyone, you know. And so that's, I think, one of the principles that we need in order to feel innovation. Start so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you incent a developer, a lender, you know, a real estate owner, you know, largely these large REITs? How do you get them to share their data with each other? How do you incent them to do it? Well, you're a lender, Aaron. Would you share your data? No. <laughs> how would you incentivize Aaron? To- yeah, how do you incent me to share my data? And to be fair, I mean, just for context, this is something we've been working on. You know, I, I run the operations here and we're going gangbusters on collecting our data and getting our data warehouse infrastructure built properly so that we can do trend analysis and look at our historical information and use AI to pred- do predictions and things. But not once have we really thought about sharing it with our competitors because mm-hmm. it's it, they're our competitors. Why would I share it with them, right? And that's the mentality. And maybe it's wrong. I'm not saying I'm right, but that is just the, that's the, that's the way that the wheels are turning inside people's brains, right? Sure, sure. I think I think there's two levels of data. Actually, there's three levels of data that we should we should focus on. One is the data that is belonging to customer, and it's not even your data. So you cannot claim that that's my data, and I'm not going to share it with someone. It's the customer's data. It's your liability, actually, in these days with what the regulations are around. Data. We don't collect SIN numbers. We, we don't collect. Yeah, we don't yeah. keep credit scores on file. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So when in Europe you look at GDPR, and they're saying that. A person can come and say, delete my information. You, know, I, I, you lend me money once. Thank you very much. But I want you to delete all my record. And I don't want you to have that in, in your database anymore. So you need to be able to comply to that request. So you, can, you, you cannot even anonymize it. You have to delete that record. But when it gets to the information that you're collecting from customers, you want to do it. Analysis around that. 
you should certainly do what you're doing, Aaron, and building your data lakes and ingesting data from multiple systems to put them all in one. But when it comes to decision making for the future of the industry, you know, the concept of open data is not really a cannibalizing your own ways to innovate. I think there's certain level of data that as an industry, lenders can come together and say, you know what, let's open this much amount of data that is not going to cannibalize anything that I do or you do. And let's just keep this level of data fluid between us. And it's not even you know, sharing the level of the customer level. It's a high level, industry level. And let's start with that. And let's share that amount of data and have someone who can actually facilitate that for us. Because this is not your expertise to do. It's mm-hmm. not expertise of anyone. So let's bring in someone to do that for us. So like, as an example, a regulatory body tracking default rates. So they get all the individual lenders' default rates and then they can get a picture of the lending economy as a whole and kind of get a handle on where uh, future problems might lie. Like that kind of level of data sharing is what you're suggesting? Yes, but that is coming and driven by your regulatory bodies. Why don't you have your own little association that does conferences for you? That association can have an analytic group that can also work on this kind of a thing. I've been talking to some of your you know, members of the commercial real estate industry as they might be even your colleagues or, or competitors, however you want to see them. They want to actually initiate projects like this to collect data and share it with everyone. There might be a business model around it that say, okay, you know, there must be a fee to be paid to collect that information and get those indexes and whatnot. See, now you're talking my language. Pay us, you can have my data. Yeah. 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 So you <laughs> can have subscribers. Yeah. You can, there's, there's always new economy around data. You know, people are putting APIs out there and collecting, you know, money on it, say, on the API economy. So why not build that and, and share that? See, and our thoughts have never been contrast or compared or, or catalog, catalog it with other competitors or colleagues in the industry, but it was more take the urbanation data, take CoStar data, take other industry data, pair it with our data, and then you've got really sort of interesting streams and interesting predictive um, analytics. But it wasn't using other lenders' data was was the logic. You know, I could see this on development side too, if you're kind of shifting the conversation a bit, where if I'm a developer and I know, let's say I'm Tridel for just as a, as a large developer, if I had access to some other major developers, sort of the way that their uh, condo purchaser behavior and make better predictions on when to come to market or what different amenities or attributes of condos that different people are seeing, because they all collect that data. I mean, that's the, as a developer, that's sort of the, the holy grail. How do I sell? What are my potential purchasers looking for and what are they going to pay the most for? And they're all collecting that data. They've already, I wonder. If they're sharing it themselves, then I guess maybe you have. If you have any any comments on that, I know that's outside of the financial institutions, but I could see that as from a commercial real estate perspective. If those groups could share their information, there's probably a lot of benefit to individual developers and sharing what their you know buyer behavior characteristics look like. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you you could benefit from everyone who sells smart home devices as well as smart city devices. And that is a good predictive of where the consumers are going and what they want. So the builders need to know that's where the trend is. It's the trend is not only in a builder making a decision. If you go ask Amazon or Best Buy how many voice-enabled devices they have sold in the past quarter or whatnot, that indicates that you know maybe each room should be already pre-equipped with these kind of things. It's becoming the norm. You just have a light to turn on the switch on and off. 
that the room needs to be voice enabled. Why don't we just think about those things? So it's not only just the builders, but I think this whole open data economy should be there and people should benefit from each other's data. So that's a good segue. So let me let's transition into into other areas that you identify that are ripe for for innovation outside of no, with, well, yeah, sure. However, you yeah. want to go about it, yeah. Or we within commercial real estate, there's just different components yeah, so that you think within within commercial real estate. I think you have the. I think the biggest problem I see is speed and agility in your your decision making, and there are systems that are been there for for many years. That's I think really an area that people can make big big changes and gain a lot of wins. Probably you know that in your um, industry, over 60% of decisions are made for a common on a common technology called Excel. So your decision-making around and, and reporting, both. So this... You mean Excel's not the way to go? Microsoft created Excel in 1985 on Macintosh first because PC did not have a graphical interface for this. And then after that, in 2000, uh, no, sorry, not 2000, in 1987, it was converted to a Windows platform. And that was the first version two, the first version for PC. And since then, the product has evolved. But since 87 till now, that product is collecting data and putting it in a computer for you. Of course, there are share points you can put all of that. But this data is not really something that is in a central location that you can actually share. It's not auditable. It's not something that can help you with what you want to do, Aaron, building all of that data pipes into a decision-making engine. Errors can go undetected. Yes. A lot of things are happening. And, and that's why it gives, it's a, the biggest competitor for people like us who come in with software solutions. Because... People love Excel because they can do whatever they want to. You do use it the way you want. You have your own. You add, you know, Aaron, you add your column. And, you know, I add my own row and I have my own standard. But we're all doing the same calculation for the same risk model. But we've just modified a little piece. So this level of flexibility is what everyone wants. It's, wants addic it's addictive. It's addictive. Absolutely. So with this, you probably will have, and the more you use it, the more you get addictive to it and it's harder to move out and turn it into a central system or a workflow. Like for us, we had a client that we had to build a commercial lending product for them. And they were using Excel like many of the lenders that we have in Canada. Many of the people in this room. And anything in the room. And for us to have that culture of let's move away from here to a system that is web-based was extremely difficult at the point that they were asking us to build the interface similar to Excel. And so we had to come and con you know, tell them, you know, that's called Google Sheets. So we don't want to invent Google Sheets inside the commercial real estate underwriting application. Let's just do whatever you need to do in Excel and just copy paste all of that for the tracking of historical thing. And then we will basically take those columns and put it inside a database because it just doesn't make sense. If you're not looking at transformational change in your system, you're just automating for the sake of not using tool A and tool B. You're not really making a big change in your organization. Your innovation needs to come with transformation. You don't need to do whatever you were doing for 20 years and then automate that. It's better, and we recommend that you 
optimize that for today's world and and then then automate that. So I, that was one of the biggest challenges I, I do see that comes with the processes. How was the human element deployment when you did launch the software hmm. without making it look like Excel so people would be comfortable because that's what they're staring at for 20 years? I, I think we had to we had to do a lot of, I would say, education to the sponsors of the project as well as the users and stakeholders to understand the, the value and the impact. And it takes a lot of patience, a lot of communication, a lot of demoing and showcasing alternatives, building POCs and showing it to them and see what is the difference. What's a POC? Oh, a proof of concept. Right. Like before going and building a software, let's just build a lightweight, demonstrable you know, interface that can visually show the user what the software will look like and how it would operate. Did you use Excel to create that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I love Excel. Don't get me wrong. I use it for a lot of things myself. So it, it, the, the human element is very, very difficult. And what we need to have is change agents that are inside organizations that are helping us with these change management. There's a lot of coaching that needs to take place. So just, just technology is not going to s- solve it itself. What else are you seeing outside, maybe outside of commercial real estate, some innovations that are occurring? That- I think the innovation is happening around you know, automation of processes. Uh, robotic process automation is a big thing that is happening these days. RPA or, uh, is among one of the first initiatives that banks have invested in the past two, three years. What's RPA? Robotic process automation. And so just what is that? I don't, like that's not true robotics. People are yeah. now envisioning like robots walking yeah. around. What do you yeah, mean? Do you yeah. mean like, like manufacturing conveyor belt type type robotics? Yeah. So it's it's good to talk a little bit about that. You see that right now banks are hiring positions that are all robotic people, and you may think the banks are not manufacturing companies. Why do they need robots? So you know, office robots are essentially software programs that are sitting, uh, imagine, on your desktop. And doing repetitive work that a person does on their behalf. So imagine that you have to key in information from your desktop to a green screen of a mainframe in two screens. And you have to copy information from one screen to the other. Or you have to copy the information that is in your Excel once the loan is approved, put it in your book of record software. How's that? So all of these manual work we don't do that we don't do that you, you don't do that at all no, yeah no. you don't do that I know I know <laughs> so in fact one of the things that we're doing right now is solving that problem that we have into putting multiple screens so we train a software the robot and I like to call this robot Samantha right now so Samantha will basically take the information that is from one system electronically and emulates what a user does, goes you know, field by field, page by page, opens the screens of the other software, keys it in there, and submits it. And you know she doesn't need to take any vacation. She works 24-7 and doesn't make errors. And so the accuracy is quite high because you get electronic data and you just put it in another system electronically. So there's no chance of typos or human error in this process. So robotic process automation has solved a lot of, you know, operational efficiencies that and operational costs that financial institutes are having. And many organizations are doing it. In manufacturing, there are robots that are also doing this. 
But in office, there's also robots that take a lot of paper and scan the papers and then digitize them and then put them inside, you know, a system that can be now categorizing the data and understanding what's inside the document and learning from it and predicting, building models around that. So that also is done robotically. One of the things that we've done is in the process of loan origination, you do income verification. Typically, you want to know who the customer is. There's a KYC and then there's this identifying, you know, how much you make money. And there are various ways of collecting T4s and income, you know, uh, of employment, employment letter from your, your job or bank statements and whatnot. And these are all given to you in PDF format. And then a broker brings it for you because you don't do it directly. So the broker has to send all of this comes back into an email back and forth, back and forth. And oh, this is missing. An agent has to sit with the broker and say, hey, I, I'm missing the T4. Can you please send that to me? They send it to you. Oh, that's last year's T4. Can I have this year's T4? And this, then, then I have you know, uh, bank statement. Oh, I want the last six months. You just gave me the last month. So this back and forth is happening between people and the broker. We can automate all that. So what we've done is we have now a robot opening the email, checking what's sent into a Dropbox type of a um, location or an email. Like a portal or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. So the, the, the broker can just send it as if they were sending it to the same person. And behind the scene, we look at the document, we scan it, we understand, we classify it first. So that we know that we have received a T4 or we have received a job letter. And then we look at inside. Does it have all the information we are looking for? And then making that decision and going, sending an email back to the you know, broker and say, can you send me that as what is missing? And once everything is complete, we'll notify the agent to go ahead and kickstart whatever the, the origination process is for decision making. The amount of repetitive work, especially given that everybody operates in uh, silos, when you think about it on a human scale and everybody there is getting pays salaries to do so and they need to take vacations and lunch and they did all that, it, the magnitude of it all is, is mind-boggling. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just in our business alone, you think about underwriting an apartment building with you know 400 units, you give the, the client, sends in a PDF of a rent roll yeah. and you give that to an analyst and say, okay, now go in and put this into Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And they'll spend four hours just going unit 101, unit 102, unit 103, rent, $1,500, yeah. $1,400, $1,300, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah. Well, just, just yeah. think if we get, a, we get a deal in from 123 Main Street, how many times company-wide does somebody type out 123 Main Street into all the various systems? And it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's incredibly inefficient. I get that. And, you know, it's a challenge to change people's mentalities and to get people to adopt new processes and trust that those new processes will, in fact, allow them to do the things that they want to do. Like, I get the, I get the reluctance. So we focus a lot on some of, you know, series, you know, shortcomings to be kind to our industry. Uh, but at a comparative level, though, compared to other industries, not even necessarily in Canada, you know, on a, on a global scale, you know, where could CRE get to? I think what we need to look into to see is the evolution of innovation, what has happened to the world, and see what lessons we can learn and see what we can bring in to this industry. If you look at you know innovation before it was government sponsored, like microwave device was. Uh, B-52 bomber thing in World War II, and then it became commercially available to consumers at 20 years afterwards. And if you look at you know, the modem that was used by the Mars rover that was sent to Mars to send data for the first exploration over there, was built in a baud rate technology that was basically twice as fast as what you were using in your 
home modem at the time that you saw this thing happening. So certain technology was available to a limited group of military level or NASA level. Today, it's a different world. SpaceX, as a private organization and entity with the dreams of Elon Musk, is pushing the needle over the travel to space so you see that the innovation is happening outside of the certain categories of silos of owning the, the innovation fleet. So what we are now seeing, the software is running the world. Every organization is now deploying software in order to modernize their offering, modernize their business, or actually depends on a software to make an offering to their clients. So software is now involved in everything that we're doing. And what we need to do is to see how can we use software in commercial real estate that can make an impact in the bottom line of the industry. Because without software, we cannot be competitive. And now every organization that I have seen that we're not a a software company, that industry has shifted to become a software or a technology company. Look at transportation, what Uber has done, Uber Technologies, not Uber Taxi. Like, you know, Airbnb as a hotel, it's not, it's not a hotel company. They don't even own anything. So these are technology companies that are driving, software is driving. Lesson learned here, what can we imagine for commercial real estate to be if the software is running a lot of things for us? And that's where I think the future should be, should be planned. How can software help us make decisions better? How can we automate it? How can we not do things that we were doing 20 years ago and to make that impact in what we do? Today, if I want to go rent a commercial real estate, the spaces that are vacant that are huge are not available to me. I'm actually investing in an art space right now myself and I'm in the market uh, trying to find uh, space for us. And rent, commercial real estate rent is very high in Toronto, downtown Toronto. As a small business, I can't afford that. But there are so many vacant areas in big malls that are really underutilized, as I said. And there's no plan in you know, meeting the demand. And people are, there's no concession made. There's no investment made into it. Look at the Silicon Valley again example. This was a real estate available and wasn't used. They gave it to some entrepreneurs who were looking for space. And instead of rent, they took some shares. And that company happened to be Google afterwards. And the guys who gave them the space became multimillionaires and they started in angel investment in more of those. And then suddenly now they have uh, the biggest startup accelerators in the Silicon Valley. So commercial real estate people turned into angel investors and right now own accelerators. So in Canada, we don't have that mindset. There are huge spaces that are available right now in, in malls in, in Toronto that these big box offices are gone. And there's no giant retail store anymore over there. What are we going to do with this space? Why didn't you guys think about WeWork? Why didn't you guys create WeWork in these spaces and let WeWork come and do this for you? Like, I mean, this is really... I think it's a no-brainer. To disconnect. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's absolutely a no-brainer. And today, if you look at how people are working and building business in Dubai, 
they come with an aggressive dream that they want to build this tower that is 100 stories in six months. And it's impossible. They're going to say, these guys are crazy. How could you do that? And people bid and they win and they deliver. They build all of the components of the building outside of the site. It's all delivered over the edges. They just assemble it and put it on top of each other. And suddenly you have what the architect had dreamed of. And they're pushing the commercial real estate over there and real estate in, in general because they have ambition. We don't have that ambition in Canada. We are not really by nature. We're very conservative. We don't see that in the way we do business. So I'm not expecting that kind of a mindset to happen here. But at least what we can do is learn from, you know, some of the innovative ideas that we can come together to leverage our, our space that is available and our vacant. And why don't we invest in real tech companies? Why don't we just come and say, these are our 15 problems that we have? in the commercial real estate business. These are 15 top problems. There are genius kids in our universities that can solve these things, but they don't have the coaching. Let's just bring them all together, throw them in one of these spaces that, you know, big retailer has gone out, give them some, you know, furniture. They just need a Wi-Fi spot and coffee. That's it. And they will, you know, run hackathons and solve these problems. for you. And this does not require multi-million dollars of investment. It's just a different mindset. Shift the mindset towards how to think innovatively and creatively to bring in resources that are there, but not there to, to be deployed to solve our industry problem. What you need to do is to look outside of how people are doing it and then look inside into your problems. What does your industry suffer from? You still don't have a portal that I can go and find the space I want. I'm looking at, you know, individual commercial real estate companies' websites. And the listing is not available on an you know, directory that I can say, this yeah. is my criteria, give it to me. I can't find that. That's very frustrating for someone who wants to buy or rent. Well, the leasing brokers own that information. They don't want, they don't want you to have it. You have to rely on the leasing yeah. broker to get access to it. So that's, that, this intermediation is being removed in many industries. And I think as an industry, we need to think about when is the time for that ha to happen in real estate? Because, yeah, in short term, we don't see that happening. But there was a lot of businesses that had these disintermediaries and, and they're gone. So I think as an industry, people need to come together and see what are the pain points and why don't we just start removing those pain points? The other thing that I, I wanted to also say is that we always, as you just said, we are reactive in these commercial real estate spaces. We come in and say, okay, well, let's take the parking lot and put a drive-through coffee shop here because that's what people want. We never come and say, hey, why don't we just have this big space that is inside our shopping mall and build removable walls that we can easily move space within a giant space to give the availability to whatever that is needed at that period of time. And then when the tenant comes in short term, they can land, fast landing, start a business in the mall. If you want to expand, go to our one of our permanent spots. The city of Toronto has done that with empty containers stackable together in Spadina. So if you have a small business, you want to start something, you retail over there, it's very low cost. Get in there, start selling, start doing whatever you want to do. And then from there, you bootstrap and you rent a space. Commercial real estate is not thinking about these creative uh, ways of, of helping 
They're not listening to the citizens. I think the metrics are different. We're looking at numbers and looking at where the numbers make sense to do things as opposed to looking outside for opportunities. These are, there's tons of opportunities out there. And when you look at what the future is happening, people are building for the first habitats of Mars right now. They're not building for the next mall in the big city in Toronto. The innovation is happening for how do we take the first 80,000 people from Earth, land them on Mars, and how are they going to live over there independently? I was judging a, a startup competition, Hackathon, just on this topic. And the people were supposed to solve how do we secure the living of these people there? What do they need for health? What do they need for commerce? What do they need for shelter, right? So these are the, the elements of a new, new city you want to make in an environment that is very hostile, an environment that is not like our environment. So the, the stakes are quite high. So you need to build and adapt the environment to the mood of the person, adapt the environment to the needs of the person that is coming in. And, and so AI is to the whole new level over there. And efficiency, smart city that you're talking about today, over there is the resources are more scarce. So you need to be ultra smart in order to plan a living space and a commerce space. So that's what innovation for the future is. And people are solving for this right now today. What can be learned from these guys? We can learn from these guys that we are really behind the first thing. First thing is realization. You need to realize that as an industry, we're behind. And if we're not behind, then, there's, then we shouldn't talk about this. And, and we need to understand that there's no culture for innovation in our industry. If we have that awareness, let's go fix it. How do we fix it? You need to get, you know, go do a checkup. Don't you go do your checkup every year to doctor and say, let's do an annual checkup. Is my heart okay? Everything okay? Once you do that, then you become aware that you have some, you know, illnesses that you have to fix. And there's always a plan for fixing it. And you need to mentally be prepared to fix it. And there's, you take counseling if that's needed. And then you need to inject into your body things that you need. Innovation is what you need to inject into the commercial real estate body. That's what's missing over here. And you need chain champions. You need somebody to come and say, that's my chain champion. And they need to start with small things. Tiny thing, quick wins to show to the stakeholders that we can do this in this industry. And innovation, I always say, should be a virus that you inject into a body. It will not be, it's not a painkiller. It should not be perceived as I'm going to take a pill and I'm going to feel good about innovation. No, it's a virus that's going to spread and take over. And that's when you transform. And that's when you can start either disrupting or, or resist the external disruption. And that's how we have survived as human beings over our generations. Look at how we have survived from the first you know, mankind that has learned how to use fire and how to you know, do other things in order to grow. So that's just a long answer to your simple question. <laughs> well, I like that uh, we asked for examples outside of Canada 
and we got to Mars and we got to the human body. We got, we got way out of <laughs> yeah. the example. Well, yeah, yeah you, are, you are a change champion too. Like, I, I know you're taking that role very seriously and I, I commend you for it. So when we say that we need a, a change champion, is Blanc Lobs a change champion? Change champions are internal to organizations. We are not part of the CRE. We are enablers. We can be people like us, people who have my job title. We can become coaches and enablers, accelerators. But we are really not part of the industry. People like you, Aaron, can be a change champion because you live and breathe your your passion and your job is this. You know better than me what your problems are in this industry. I hope so. I have learned your problems from people like you working with you guys. So if I come and tell you that I'm the, I'm the solution to all your problems or Bank Labs is, no, that's not a fact. What we can do is sit with you and help you identify the problems that you know are aware of with a strategy of, so how do we deal with this. Now that we have the realization, what we can do in order to have an action plan in order to tackle this, where innovation can help us. I love it. Darius, this is great. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Very riveted. I mean, totally different than some of our normal topics, which is refreshing, I think. I think our listeners are going to love this. Thank you. As always, I want to thank First National for powering the podcast, and thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Darius. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.